0: three of our series on the parables uh, of Jesus and we'll be in it throughout the whole summer and I'm going to dive right in we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 to 8 Luke 18 1 to 8 if you don't have your bible download the bible app if not we'll have it for you on the screen in front of you Luke chapter 18 verse 1 to 8 it's called the parable of the unjust judge then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what this unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, fi- will he find faith on the earth? That's our word for this morning. That's the parable. And it's a pretty easy parable to understand. You know, sometimes parables are a little bit more complex, and you got to do a little bit more studying. But this parable on the surface is pretty simple. But... The implications of this parable are massive for us, and I would say even greater for us today than for Jesus' original audience. And so here's a summary of the parable. There is this unjust or unfair judge, and so he's in a position of power, and this widow who is powerless comes to him with these grants and these pleas, and she says, will you grant me justice? And she comes to him over and over, and that means that the judge had not been answering her request. But the judge sees that she's persistent. She keeps coming back and says, I don't want her to attack me, and there's a little bit of humor there. I don't want her to keep bothering me, so I'm going to grant her her request. And that's the parable. And then Jesus says, if an unjust judge would grant the request of this widow, how much more would God grant the request and bring justice for his people who cry out to him? So it's a hopeful parable showing us the character of God, that God will one day answer our prayers and he will bring justice. That's the summary of the parable. That's pretty much it. We're done. We can go home. (laughs) But before you go home, notice what Jesus asks as he ends the parable. He says this, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's An interesting question from Jesus. And I would say, yes, Jesus, if, you, if we know that you're going to hear all of our prayers and answer our prayer requests and bring justice and vindicate us at some point as human beings, as your people, then that's a hopeful message. And yes, we will have faith unless the prayers that are answered and the justice that is to come happens on God's timing and not our timing. It's one of the reasons Jesus asks, will he find faith on the earth? What Jesus is getting at in this parable is the human condition of losing hope and faith when we don't get what we want when we want it. I'm going to tell you one of my least favorite things about my wife. It's not the smartest way to start a message. It's like... If you wanna sleep on the couch, tell people what you don't like about your wife. So I'm risking everything telling you guys this. No, you guys know I'm smart, so I already told my amazing wife what I'm gonna tell you guys this morning so she knows what's coming up ahead. So here's one of my least favorite things about my wife that bothers me. It's my pet peeve. We'll be sitting down to watch a movie. And it starts off great. We're getting cozy, we got the popcorn, the lights are dim, we got the movie picked after like 30 minutes of trying to figure out what we're going to watch, and we sit down and we start the movie, and things are going well, it's exciting, the movie's starting off, but like 30 to 40 minutes into the movie, the plot begins to thicken someone gets killed or someone's family member might be getting abducted and things start going haywire and there's a point every movie that we watch there's a point at the movie that is a breaking point for my wife and she pulls out her phone because she has to find out what happens in the rest of the movie before she watches it yeah she's one of those people She can't handle the anxiety and the tension, so she looks it up and she has to read what happens and I'll literally pull her phone out of her hand now because I know what she's up to. Because I'm like, I'm watching this movie that I've never seen before and you've already seen it like in your head, you've already read ahead and you know it, so what's the point of us watching it together? And now it's gotten to the point where she'll like pull out a pillow and pull out her phone on the side so I don't notice. But this is what happens and it bothers me. She can't handle not knowing what happens, especially when things start getting a little crazy. I think many of us, we have that same mentality when it comes to life. We'd all love to be soothsayers or fortune tellers because we'd all love to know the future. If you're dating someone this morning, you might be going, I would love to know if this relationship is going to work out. (laughs) Like where are we going to be in a year from now? Are we gonna be living together? Are we gonna be married? Is he gonna meet my parents? If you had a job that you just started, you might be thinking, I'd love to know where I'm gonna be in two years from now. Am I gonna get that promotion? Am I even gonna be here from now? If you're in the military in San Antonio, I'm sure you'd love to know where you're off to next and where you might end up once you're retired. If you're starting a business, sure you'd love to know, is this business going to make it? Are we just going to get by? Are we going to be successful? Is it going to be thriving? One of the things I'd love to know, and there might be some of you that can relate, I'd love to know how long I would live in this life. Love to know how long I'd live. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, if there's a tragedy that happens and I die like this year, let's say, I tell my wife, I would prefer that I die before she dies. And here's Why? If I die, she's good. Like, she's got probably a list of 20 guys I would love to marry her. If she dies, this is what you're working with. I'm going to be a single dad of three kids. I have no hope. And so I always tell her I would love to die before she dies. I'd love to know how long I'm going to live on this earth. You know what else I'd love to know is when stocks will become hot. Like, I don't know if you know, but the AutoZone stock is one of the top five stocks in the world. Who would have thought AutoZone? I would have loved to know at some point that you could buy, put all your money in the AutoZone stock. We would all love to know the future if we could. It's why there's a whole industry behind it. The psychic industry in the United States has grown 52% since 2005. It is now at an all-time high of $2.2 billion. It's a $2.2 billion industry. Why? People would love to know what will happen and when things will happen. The problem for us is that we can't just take out our phones and Google when things will happen in life. When will this crisis be over? When will this prayer be answered? When will the sickness be gone? When will my my child be born? When will I get the justice that I deserve? We don't have all the answers when it comes to life because you and I are not in control. Not only are we obsessed with knowing what's going to happen, we also get obsessive about knowing when things will happen. Like we want things at a certain time because we expect things to happen when we want it. So if you don't get that burger after church today, you're going to be hangry. Some of the wives are like hitting the husbands right now. Or you order that package online, and you know when it's coming, and you look at the tracking every single day, and today's the day says, out for delivery by 6 p.m. So 6 p.m., you're looking out the door. There's nothing out there. You're looking out the window. Where is the UPS guy? And then 7 o'clock comes, and then you look at the tracking and says, sorry, your package is delayed, and you throw your phone at the wall because you need that dress tonight. you got to try it on tonight. We're obsessed with getting things when we want things. The question is asked by Jesus. When the Son of Man returns... Will he find faith on this earth? Because Jesus knows there is a high probability that waiting on his timing will have some of us losing faith in him. And here's a problem with time. Let's talk about time for a little bit. Time is a cultural construct that we live in, and it has made us impatient with God. There was a point in history where our lives did not revolve around a clock or a calendar but around rhythms of life. People would get up when they felt like getting up or when the sun came out. There were these rhythms to creation that you would live by and historians would say there was a moment in time where we went from natural time to artificial time. All of us here this morning live under the control of artificial time. Even our service, there's a timer on there that tells me how much time I have left. All of us have clocks on our phones or watches that we're wearing. When you get into your car, there's a time on there. When you get to your house, there's a time on your devices. You might have a clock hanging on your wall. When we get to work, there's calendars that tell us, this is the time that you come to work, these are the times that you have for your meetings, this is the time that you go home. You sleep at a certain time, you get up at a certain time. Because we live under the control of artificial time. There was a period in history where clocks didn't exist. Just in the last couple hundred years, where human beings lived based on the rhythms of creation where the conversations in the lobby aren't rushed because we gotta get to that lunch or that Costco trip. And time has become a commodity for us. It's worth something, right? Your time is valuable. Think about how we use the word time in our language. You might hear, you might hear someone say, you're wasting my time. Or I might say, I stopped by a discount tire to fix that flat on my car and I lost two hours of my time. Or I might say, or you might hear someone say, I'm upset that that employee left because I've invested time. Or you might tell someone, you're running out of time. Put aside some time for yourself. I met with a mentor this past week and I asked, how much time do you have left? If your wife is upset with you, you might be living on borrowed time. If you're late for a meeting, you might say, I lost track of time. You go to an appointment and you might hear, thank you for your time. Finish a task, and we beat that task in record time. We use time in everything that we do because time is a commodity for us that we value so dearly. And time has become about being efficient and quick. That's the way that I'm wired. I want to do things quickly and efficiently. So we celebrate those who can type off and send off beautifully written emails in a few minutes or those that can finish administrative tasks within 30 minutes because we love efficiency because we love control. And we've allowed this cultural construct of time to make us believe that you and I are in control of time. And this is not just a cultural issue, it's a spiritual one. We've become so obsessed with our sense and idea of time that when things don't go our way, we start to believe that God is delayed in His timing. We even start to lose faith in God. God, it doesn't feel like you're on time right now, you're super late. So we ask the same questions when will this crisis be over? Why was this prayer not answered, God? When will the sickness be gone? When will my child be born? When will I get that justice that I deserve? It's why Jesus asks, if this unjust judge would answer the prayers of this widow, wouldn't God answer the pleas of his children? But when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on this earth? We believe that God might be late at times. So how do we reconcile our understanding of time and God's understanding of time and the time that he lives in? Here's the first thing that we got to understand. All of us are living kind of in an in-between when it comes to eternity. Or what we might say, the now and the not yet. So the now is everything Jesus has done on the cross to this point in your life. And the not yet is a future time. And in the now, we are recipients of God's grace on the cross. But we will also be recipients of the fullness of his grace in the not yet. So now we are recipients of his death on the cross and that he defeated death on the cross. We receive forgiveness for our sins. We're not defined by our good days and our bad days, but by what Jesus did on the cross for us. Now we also receive the gift of God's spirit that indwells Within us. Now we are the body of Christ, the church community that confesses all of the above and our faith in Jesus. Now we are empowered to serve and love others. Now we have access to God. We are no longer having to go through prophets or other people, but there is one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus. That means we have access to God now. That is our hope. It's what we put our faith in now. But our walk with God is not just defined by the now, but also the not yet. The not yet is a hope that we have is that God will one day answer all of our prayers and work all things together for the good of those who love him. In the not yet, we will see that God will one day bring justice to those who are victims, to those who are marginalized, to those who have been hurt, to those who have not had a voice the hope is that one day God will redeem and restore all things. There's coming a day when there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, but perfect peace. That's the not yet. So we are recipients of the now. What God has done as we await his future return in the not yet. This is what we call our future, present and future hope, the now and the not yet. So what do we do? With this understanding of time. If we're living in it now, we're recipients of it now, what does it mean for prayers? What does it mean for justice? Do we simply wait and what does it mean to wait? There was a prophet, his name is Habakkuk, and Habakkuk struggled with this because he knew that God's promise was spoken into existence, but he saw a delay in God's promise. And so he wrestled with this, and here's how he communicates to the people on behalf of God. It says this, for it is not yet time for it to come true, and he's talking about the promise of God, the time is coming in a hurry, and it will come true. If you think it is slow in coming, wait for it, for it will happen for sure, and it will not wait. I know, it's one of the most confusing verses when you first read it. Let's break this down real quick. Remember, he's talking about God's promise that is to be fulfilled. The first thing that it says is, for it is not yet time for it to come true. In other words, the time is not right now for God's promise to be fulfilled. Second thing he says is this, the time is coming in a hurry and it will come true. So the time is not now, but the time will come. It's a reminder of the promise. The time is not now, the time will come. If you think it is slow in coming, wait for it. I love that it says, if you think it's slow in coming... Wait for it. So the time is not now, but the time is coming, and you simply have to wait for it. And here's what he ends with For it will happen for sure, and it will not wait. The promise does not wait. What does this mean for us? It might feel like waiting for you, but your waiting does not mean God is delayed or late. Because what he has spoken will come to existence and to fruition on his timing. And his timing is never delayed. His timing is always right on time, although you might be waiting. His timing is exactly right because he has spoken it into existence. So in this life, some prayers won't be answered. In this life, not all of us will get justice if we're victims or marginalized. In this life, some questions may not be answered. The appointed time for all of that to come to fruition might be the not yet our future hope. The problem is that we believe our faith at times is contingent on the fulfillment of the promise, but our faith should always be contingent on our confidence and trust that God is who he says he is and will do what he's promised to do at some point that might be out of our control. The time is not now, but it's coming. If you think it's slow, just wait for it. So where do we go between the now and the not yet? This is going to blow your mind. You just wait for it. In faith. And the waiting that we do as believers in Christ and his promise over our lives. It's different than just waiting impatiently. When we're waiting, we simply align ourselves with what God is doing. So we keep praying, we keep approaching God, we keep doing what he's called us to do over and over and over, trusting not in the results, but trusting in what he has spoken. And it will come true. I love Max Locato's illustration that he calls the waiting room says this, I sit here in the waiting room. The receptionist took my name, recorded my insurance data, and gestured a chair. Please have a seat. We will call you when the doctor is ready. I look around. There's a mother who's holding her sleepy baby. A fellow dressed in a suit thumbs through Time magazine. A woman with a newspaper looks at her watch. She sighs and continues the task of the hour waiting it's the waiting room not the examination room that's down the hall not the consultation room that's on the other side of the wall not the treatment room exams consultations and treatments all come later the task at hand and the name is in the name of the room it is the waiting room We in the waiting room understand our assignment to simply wait. I love how he writes this. We don't treat each other. I don't ask the nurse for a stethoscope or a blood pressure cuff. I don't pull a chair next to the woman with the newspaper and say, tell me what prescriptions you're taking. That's the job of the nurse. My job is to wait, so I do. I can't say I like it, Time in the waiting room moves like the Alaskan glacier. The clock ticks every five minutes, not every second. It seems like someone has pressed the pause button on life. Every moment that we live in this world is God's great waiting room. As we await the fulfillment of his future promise. And Jesus, in this parable, when he asks, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find those who have simply waited, expecting him to come through the doors? Some of you here are waiting for the birth of a child. Some of you here are waiting for your husband to find God. Some of you here are waiting To hear good news for the first time this year. Some of you are waiting to get past this stage of life. You're ready for the next one. All the parents of young kids say amen. (laughs) Some of you are waiting for that next career move. We find ourselves waiting in life. And here's a promise that Isaiah writes. Chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait upon the Lord will get new strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weak. This is opposite of our understanding of waiting. For us, waiting is boring, it's draining. We got to get things done efficiently on time. The promise is those who wait upon the Lord will get new strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weak. Waiting is not the cause of weariness. Waiting is the source of strength. But how can that be? How can waiting be the source of strength? Because of who we wait for. See, when you're at the doctor's office, there's a chance But the doctor doesn't come through that door. An emergency happens or the patient that he's seeing has an emergency. And you can't be seen that there. There's a chance that in this life what we wait for will not happen. But our faith and our assurance is that there is no chance that the promise of God will not come to fulfillment because we believe in his character and we believe that he is who he says he is. That's what faith is. seeing believing without seeing with our eyes trusting in God's character trusting what he's done in our life in the past he'll continue to do in this life and in the future that's why our waiting turns to a source of strength it's because of who we wait on and there is no chance that he is delayed or late he is always on time when it comes to eternity In this parable, Jesus shows us the character of God. He is good, and we get to trust in a good God who will one day fulfill every word that he has spoken on his own timing. We simply wait. Our hope is not an end result today or tomorrow or next week or next year or even in this life, but our hope is that one day he will do it. Not only do we have this future hope that God will bring all the answers, He will bring justice to His children. The beauty and the goodness of God is that as we're patiently waiting on Him, He's patient with us. We don't just look ahead to a God that we can meet in the future, He walks with us now. Emmanuel, God with us. His spirit lives in us and He's patient and kind with us. I was at the park with my kids yesterday and God reminded me of this. We're at the park. And there's a playground where we're playing with, it was me and, my, uh, me and my daughter and my son and my wife was there with my other daughter, Penny. She was holding her. And in the playground, the playground is kind of covered in this barrier, uh, this kind of wall that comes up a little bit, this plastic wall, so the kids can stay in. And if you have kids, you'll know what I mean. She doesn't want to play with the playground stuff. She just wants to walk on the ledge. And so, so my daughter Maddie says, Dad, I want to walk on this ledge. And so she gets up on the ledge and she tries to walk and then she falls. And then she says, I need your help. She said, can you help me walk on this ledge? And so immediately I felt like God was showing me that this is me and him and the relationship that we have. And I kind of pushed it aside. I said, God, this is a cheesy illustration. I'm not going to share it tomorrow. I'm not going to make everything in an illustration in life. But as I kept walking with her, I realized that God was trying to teach me something. And so she gets on this ledge, and there's just enough space on the ledge for her tiny little feet for one feet at a time. So she does this, and she's holding on to my hand as she walks the ledge. And every three or four feet, she began to fall. And I picked her up and I put her back on, and I said, Just keep walking on the ledge. And then she got a little overconfident and she starts to look up. She's looking ahead at what's coming up ahead of her, and then she falls. And I pick her up and I say, hey, keep your eyes straight down, one step at a time. Don't worry about what's coming up ahead. Don't worry about that turn you have to make. One step at a time. I got you. I'm holding on to you. And I kept leading her. And then her mother popped up on the side and she got distracted and fell again. Said, hey, keep your eyes right here. Just over and over. I was just saying the same thing over and over. And she's two and a half years old. She, she, she's having a hard time understanding or listening at times. And so she keeps, at one point she tried to rush and she thought she could do it. She fell again. Just walking with her patiently. Patiently. And God was showing me, this is what I do with you. You want to get ahead of schedule. You want to see what's coming up down the road and around the, around the bend. But I'm simply telling you, take one step at a time. Just walk. One step at a time, I am with you. And so she comes around. We go around the entire playground. She comes out and she says, ta-da, and she's happy. I give her a high five. This is what she wanted to do that day. And she accomplished her tasks. Her hopes and prayers for that day came to fruition. And then I see my son Ezra. He's on the floor. He's crying. Because he wants to do this, the same thing that his sister is doing. And so here's the thing about Ezra. I've told you guys many times he has Down syndrome, which he means he has an extra copy of his 21st chromosome. And pretty much it means he goes at his own pace and his own timing. And he's had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy since he was six months old. So when you see him walking around, he didn't just naturally start doing that. There's a lot of work that took place for him to get there. So when he tells me, I say that because when he tells me he wants to walk on this very narrow ledge, I know as his father that it's going to be real difficult for him. But I said, okay, let's try. And he takes like one or two steps and he falls and he knows he can't do it. He doesn't have balance. He starts to cry. And so I pick him up. I take him to the bench. And I just hug on him. I just love on him. And I kiss him and I tell him I love you. nothing he has to do or perform or complete for me to love him. And in this parable, it's what Jesus says, if an unjust judge would answer the prayers of this widow, how much more would your father answer your prayers and bring you justice? And if me as a flawed father can walk with my children so patiently, how much more the one that loves you and knows you, created you, knows every hair on your head, if you have hair, every tear that you've cried, your past, your present, and your future, the one that knows you better than any other person on this earth, if a flawed, earthly father will walk so patiently and lovingly with his children, how much more would God walk with you as you wait on him? Some of you are like Ezra. You're looking at Maddie and going, how come she got it and I didn't? How come it happened for her and not for me? How come I can't take a few steps? How come her hopes and her dreams and her prayers were answered? How come they have that children and mine keeps passing away? I'll Put up up this picture. I forgot about this picture. And I want to show you this picture. I'm looking a little crusty in there. Just look at Ezra. I wanted to show you this picture, not just because Ezra is cute and I'm cute. I'm just kidding. I wanted to show you this picture. Because for some of you that are in seasons of crying and waiting and not knowing what's ahead, this is a picture of what is ahead for you. Perfect peace and joy in the presence of your father. That's why Jesus says his parable. When he comes back, will he find faith on this earth or will we simply lose trust and confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he has promised to do in our lives. The call, the encouragement, the challenge for us this morning is to trust in a good father who has done it in the past and will continue to do it and one day bring it all together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you know that life can be difficult, that the waiting room of life can be hard to endure, especially when you see other people's names being called and things not happening on our own timing. we thank you that you wait with us, that you're patient. And you just simply remind us, trust in me. Trust in me. I got you. Trust in me. Would we be people, would we we be a church that learns to tune into your voice? Tune out every other voice and simply listen to our Father. Pray for strength, God, for your people who are growing weary are growing tired, who are growing restless, who are growing impatient, who are afraid of what's ahead, may you fill us with hope and peace and all joy and comfort that comes from you, and your voice that says, I got you, I'm with you. We thank you that because of the cross... We are no longer defined by our good days, our bad days, but defined by what you've done. We are no longer slaves, but children. And why would a good father not care for his children? Would you stretch, in, would you stretch our faith in you? In the uncomfortable moments of life, we continue to trust that you are good, and you are who you said you are. It's in your precious name, we. Pray.